Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to the fifth episode of Unwelcome Visitor, Pandemic in the UK's Playground, a podcast series taking a look at the events of the past 12 months. Each week, we will speak to a variety of guests and look at what life in lockdown has been like for those living in Devon and Cornwall. This week, we'll be taking a look at how COVID has affected the lives of those who have caught it as well as speaking to the experts, finding out about the safety of the vaccine and the reason for restrictions. We also acknowledge the dangerous action taken by COVID deniers or sceptics in their mission to leave others questioning the validity of the global pandemic. For those who have lost loved ones to COVID, suffered themselves, risked their lives caring for others in the NHS, or cancelled major life events, those clips, which were captured in the Cornwall Freedom Rally in Truro back in December 2020, would have been considerably hard to listen to. Back in January, Raymond was being treated at Dereford Hospital after all the members of his household caught COVID-19, including his young grandson. I'm not dying here. Oh my God, man. It's like two little things on your shoulders. One saying, like, this is so painful, just give up and go to sleep. And don't wake up. And now they're thinking, I've got a family and they've all got this. All of them. Oh, little baby. Grandson, he's gone. And uh, it just makes you uh, have a different perspective in life. I've never been in a hospital for a while. I didn't know these nurses were so good. And uh, I got emotional. And not only was I ill, I was crying. I love my wife. Dr. Mehik Tahir works at Dereford Hospital and spoke about her experiences during COVID-19. I think it's frightening, it's really frightening because you get, you know, all these people who are 
young and um, you can relate to them and they've got young kids at home and you know and it's, it's also really variable who gets um, you know the severe form of the disease because one of the youngish um, you know gentlemen we've got on the ward uh, just now who's a 53 year old chap all his family got it but he's the only one who needed to come in um, and the only one who got the severe form of the disease so I think it's really unpredictable and and um, yeah, by all means. Um, it has definitely, obviously the cases have definitely risen and we've seen that in the amount of inpatients we've got um, at the moment. Um, the variety of people that are coming in is um, very kind of variable as well. Um, we've got people, you know, from young ages such as um, we had a lady yesterday who was 38 um, and um, we've currently got one um, on the ward who is 93. Um, so it's really variable um, and the course of disease is also quite variable in, in these group of patients. When restrictions for the third lockdown began to ease, we spoke to Dr Ruth Harrell, Director of Public Health for Plymouth. We asked her what she would say to those who deny the existence of Covid. People sometimes argue over tiny little details like, you know, exactly what a PCR test is, etc, etc. You don't need to do that. Just look at the hospital wards when we were in mm. the peak. Look at the number of people that were dying. Um, the number of people dying um, in the country last year is hugely more than we mm. were expecting and should have happened. Uh, there's a very small proportion of those people that would have died if it hadn't been um, for COVID. And a lot of people have died early and younger than they, than they should have done. Um, but if you you know if that doesn't mean anything to you then just I mean talk to look on the websites that are available I mean I've spoken to quite a few people recently who are suffering from you know long Covid people who've been in hospital with it you know and this is young people that are often in hospital with it they can't breathe it is horrible mm. disease it's a scary disease and many people are still suffering months later and aren't able to get back to their normal life uh, don't know what more, you know, what more evidence you need to realise that this is a very, very serious issue. Um, we hope we're finding a way out of it, but denying it exists is just pointless and, and very, very foolish to me. Ruth also gave a word of warning to the people of Plymouth as restrictions in the city began to ease. We've seen before that we thought things might be getting better. And then we've mm -hmm. seen how quickly cases can rise if it, if it goes wrong. So the, the idea of this roadmap and how we get out of lockdown is that the steps are very gentle and controlled and measured. So that's why it's really important that we still carry on following all of the guidance that we're being asked to follow. Because if we give up on everything and we stop doing everything, we will almost definitely have a really difficult time of it and we will see cases rise. So what we're trying to do is just keep each step very gradual, just doing exactly what the guidance says we're allowed to do and absolutely no more. Um, and then hopefully we'll be able to see what what the result of that is and then hopefully take the next step and the next step so please do carry on with all the sort of general basic measures that we're asking people to do like social distancing and masks and washing hands etc for some people the idea of catching covid19 and falling extremely ill felt very unlikely but for jonathan who was 27 years old and ended up in Dereford hospital in january the dangerous nature of the virus soon became a reality started off with a headache and then a couple of days it just started off like started to progress into like a whole body feeling of aching pains coughing uh, lots of mucus um, and then a few days after that pretty much stopped eating bedridden 
um, high temperatures, temperatures up to like 39.6 at the highest, um, and just just constant sweating, like just literally not being able to, like, imagine having a thirst that you can't sit with how much water you can drink. Like I was going through like four or five liters of water a day, and I was still thirsty. My mouth was like dry and sticky, but it was also like the not knowing like what's going to happen next um because unlike like any other like virus that's probably out there and what i've had um usually i can wipe them off like naturally without having any sort of uh medical inter intervention or treatment whereas this is like i've needed help on it because there's no way i could have got well as quick as i have without like professional help i couldn't even walk on my own um, I had to walk with a paramedic who was actually a real sound guy, real helpful, um, carrying an oxygen tank with um, one of the like the oxygen tubes into the into the, the nostrils. Yeah, it was. You know, if it wasn't for that, then you know things probably would have been a lot worse. Jonathan said that before he tested positive and ended up needing urgent hospital treatment to help him breathe properly. He hadn't taken the virus seriously. In personal opinion, um, I think people who say COVID isn't real need a reality check. Um, I'm guilty of that myself when it first started off, um, which is the only reason why I'm saying that. But as I've experienced and I've seen people around myself coming down with it, throw that theory out of the window, really. Um, I'd also like strongly encourage people, no matter how young you are, to just respect like people's like need for social distance. It's just not worth the risk. It really isn't. It's you know for yourselves, for other people, because you don't know who they are then going to meet. They could be meeting people who are like 50, 60, 70, 80 odd, and it, it could potentially cause them a lot more like damage than you. What you know. The vaccine rollout across the UK offers hope for a safer and brighter future. I'm Dr. Barrett Pancania, senior clinical lecturer, University of Exeter Medical School. And before I came to Exeter, I was in uh, communicable disease control for over 20 years at Public Health England. We asked Dr. Barrett how safe the vaccines are. Well, as safe as safe can be and safer still. Uh, they go through independent scrutiny. They go through several trials from uh, the animal model to the human model to the larger numbers of humans to the assessment and then independent verification. And then even after we've started giving the vaccines, we still monitor the people that we have given the vaccines to, a large representative sample of the people we have given vaccines to. So overall, we would never, we would never ever allow the vaccines to be given to people who are otherwise fit, healthy and well, uh, if we were unsure about them. So really, in terms of safety, they're very good, very, very safe, life-saving drugs. He also spoke about the effects of lockdown on society and shared the positives that he has seen emerge. I think whilst this... Uh, coronavirus pandemic has given a jolt to planet Earth, 
we should take the good with everything that has come. And some of the good that has come from the pandemic is the enablement of people working from home. And that we should not cast away with back to normal. So certain things are never going to change. So I personally would advocate that uh, a lot of the air miles and traveling to meetings, etc., be curtailed. Even teaching, University of Exeter, I'm teaching from home, and we're going to harness all the technology and do those things. So there's going to be a new order, and that new order was well overdue. So it's all very good. In some ways, our world has changed. In some ways, maybe we realize that we need to be careful with the environment and not to mess with the environment and prevent the emergence of new nasty viruses. Like Ruth Harrell, he also shared a word of warning to those hoping to see a COVID-free future. I think life will be marginally better, but it won't be back to normal. And I have to be honest and truthful about it because people are making plans. People think it is all sunny uplands tomorrow or soon. Impossible. So it's better I am honest and say, I don't think people will be traveling to Spain, Italy, Alicante, Canary Islands and Thailand and further afield. I don't think so. So uh, there may be fewer restrictions, but I think we need to be prepared that uh, it won't be possible, not by summer. We also asked Dr. Barrett to give us some advice to anyone who had contracted COVID-19 and were feeling unwell. Monitor your shortness of breath. This is very, very important. So some people can be gradually getting what we would call oxygen depleted and be unaware. Ask yourself the active question, am I really, really worn out? really tired, I can't walk the stairs, then those are danger signs. Those are telling you that you need to sort of seek help urgently as soon as possible. Don't ignore it. Thousands of people in the Southwest quickly had to adapt to working from home during the first lockdown or were placed on furlough. But for some key workers, working from home was not possible, especially those like funeral directors who couldn't escape from the frightening death tolls. When you tell someone that you're a funeral director, they tend to either run a mile and not want to talk to you or they're incredibly interested and, and ask lots of questions. I'm John Ware from Walter C. Parson Funeral Directors in Devon and Cornwall. It's been a been an incredibly challenging 12 months, really. The, the trickiest time was probably um, just over 12 months ago now. So March and April last year, obviously, with the first lockdown. Um, nobody really knew very much about the virus and, and how contagious it was and all of that sort of thing. Um, so we were basically trying to keep constantly up to date with the um, various government announcements and the guidelines that were coming out. Biggest challenge for us at the start was getting hold of the correct PPE to keep our, our guys safe. Um, obviously, they were going into places like nursing homes, hospitals and, and people's homes where people have passed away of coronavirus um, and we really 
needed to make sure that our staff felt safe um, and weren't going to either contract the virus or take it home to their own families. So that was a, a bit of a battle. Like everybody else, we were we were all vying for that same PPE and it was in short supply. Um, but we did incredibly well with that. We got hold of what we needed. Um, we didn't run out, thankfully, at any point. John says that the pandemic affected the way in which funerals were organised and the number of people that were allowed to attend changed suddenly in March 2020. We've been very fortunate in this part of the world that we've been quite sheltered from the virus when compared to places further up the country. Um, So uh, thankfully, we haven't seen a huge increase in the number of deaths, um, but there was an awful lot of support that was required for our clients and bereaved families to make sure that they understood what they could and couldn't do. Um, There were unfortunately some people very early on where we almost had to rearrange the funeral two or three times because the rules were changing on a weekly basis at some point. So uh, the big difference being the limit on attendance numbers really in the space of two weeks went from as many people as wanted to attend could down to 30 and in some places 10. John highlights that the support offered from funeral directors was vital in ensuring that the bereaved were still given the highest level of care. One of the first things we we did um, was to start arranging funerals by video call and telephone. Obviously, a a great number of our clients are generally quite elderly. um, So using video calls and things was was completely alien to them. Um, So it was about really making sure we were still available in the way that we would like to be to support people through a difficult time. Um, But it was really a case of trying to make people feel as comfortable as they could, whether that was by telephone, text message, video call. We've almost become more accessible um, because of of the restrictions that were in place. The care side of of what we do has always been incredibly important. We're a seventh generation family business. Um, really, the our sort of ethos, if you like, is that if it's not good enough for our family, it's not good enough for yours. Um, and we've we've done our very best to, to keep to that right the way through the restrictions, um, even if sometimes that's meant having difficult conversations about limiting numbers of people that can come to funerals. Um, we've, we've tried to put it across in a sensitive way, obviously. Um, but ensuring that people adhere to the law. Um, you probably have seen on the news some places, funerals, the attendance limit was breached and the government did issue fines. So it, it was about protecting our staff from that point of view because I'm sure they wouldn't have wanted to pay those sort of fines. But fundamentally, it was about keeping the public and our staff safe. And, and I think we've thankfully been very successful in doing that. You know, we've all played our own part in making sure that we've been able to carry on doing what we do. Uh, I think we've been incredibly fortunate that we've we've not had to furlough anybody. We've all got jobs to come back to at the end of it. Um, and we've carried on providing a, a critical service to the public as well. So huge thank you to, to all of our staff for what they've done. You have been listening to Unwelcome Visitor, pandemic in the UK's playground. Next week, We'll be focusing on the staycation boom experienced in Devon and Cornwall and speaking to those that work within the tourism industry. If you have a story to tell, get in touch via our Devon Live, Plymouth Live or Cornwall Live Facebook pages.